welcome to the Legal Moves Podcast. This is Zachary Streebeck, your host and resident game lawyer. Uh, we are back after, I think, probably a couple months away. Uh, today, we're talking to... No, wait. Here, I'm going to... We, we decided before the show that I would try to pronounce this uh, <laughs> without any practice. So we're talking to Keith <laughs> Matake. That's this a- actually... It's actually Mateka. It's pretty Mateka? close. I think. Where's the uh? Yeah, the, no. you're missing a letter in your document, I think. Ah, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. It's on your Skype, but it's not in the document. Okay, Mateka from Thunderworks Games. Nope. Welcome, welcome, Keith. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, happy to be here. Great. Excellent. Um, all right. So, uh, as always in the show uh, with my guests, I start off by discussing your background, basically, you know, what you were doing before you got into games and uh, how you got started in the games industry. So, I don't know. Do you want to give us some insight there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I've I've always been somewhat of a gamer. I mean, probably in um, you know when I was younger, I got introduced to. Uh, board games by actually a babysitter uh, that was babysitting my sister and I, and uh, I remember her bringing over Survive and Scotland Yard and things like that, which which are actually still in print and and actually uh, pretty re- still respected games. And so I I always kind of dig playing board games and stuff. You know, it was always a family thing, playing Romeo and stuff on vacations. But um, you know, I as I was growing up, I kind of drifted away from board games and got full into video games and. Um, you know, I, I grew up and ended up <clears throat> starting a career in the video game industry. Um, I, I worked at uh, Konami Digital Entertainment for seven years in California, a, a video game publisher uh, in QA and production. And um, then I've, I've been at um, a video game developer here in Madison, Wisconsin, or Middleton, Wisconsin, I guess, which is kind of the neighboring uh, city uh, at Raven Software. I'm working okay, cool. uh, in So I've worked in uh, you know video games for 15 years, and you know about five years ago, uh, me and my buddies who were just um, I started playing board games again. You know I I had played D and D when I was in college, and I was looking for um, uh, I moved back to Wisconsin and was looking for a similar experience. You know trying to um, get back into D and D or Shadowrun or, or whatever, and as as an adult, I figured out that hey, once you have like a full time job, you you don't have the time you did when you were in college to play these kinds of things, you know. So uh, I was looking for basically a D and D style experience that I that didn't take uh, ten to twelve hours to play with my buddies. So um, you know, I was I heard about uh, Descent and, and got into Arkham Horror and things like that, which are very kind of role play, at least trying to be a little role playing in, in a box. Um, and uh, then kind of branched out from there. I found a, a couple local uh, gaming groups here in Madison. I mean, Madison is uh, has a lot of gamers, and Wisconsin has a lot of gamers. I think a lot of it is from the fact that TSR started here, and I think the the cold weather for the majority of the year probably um, encourages keeps people inside uh, playing games. Keeps people inside playing games. Yeah, I mean, you know, come February and it's like been cold for. Uh, Three four months, you're desperate for entertainment. I think to some degree. So, um, and I was, I also was living in a new town, so I was looking for to make friends and, and kind of build a social, uh, you know, circle. And you know, I'm not huge on going out to the bars and, and and meeting people that way. And I think as an adult, it's kind of hard to make new friends and sure. 
Uh, I've leaned on gaming as, as one of the ways to do that. So um, anyway, how did I get into designing and publishing board games? I think it's pretty common for someone who is enthusiastic about games and plays a lot of games to at some point say, hey, I could do this. You know, this doesn't seem that hard. Um, I've got good ideas. I've played hundreds and hundreds of games. So, um, uh, you know, I was playing board, uh, card games and board games at my lunch hour at my, in my workplace almost every day. And, and one of the guys one day said, Hey, you know, we make video games every day. We play board games. Let's try to make some. Sure. Um, so there was like three of us and we were all kind of kicking off ideas and trying to develop a process to, to kind of, you know, uh, take ideas to the next stage. And, um, you know, one of the guys lost interest and the other guy, you know, moved on to other things and, um, I, I have the tenacity to keep working on it. So, um, I worked on a kind of a, a mech combat game for a long time. Um, and then as I did more research into, you know, uh, what it takes to publish a game and I, I saw a lot of people being successful on Kickstarter, I was like, the tools are here. There's people that are willing to share their information about their, their processes. Um, it, it doesn't seem out of the realm to do this myself. Um, but I quickly realized that, um, you know, it's important not to, to, to bite off more than you can chew, I think, yeah, for especially sure. for your first project. Um, so I ended up realizing that the manufacturing costs and like just the risk involved of that first project was, uh, you know, my, my eyes were, were thinking big time and I was like, well, I got to pull this back. So, um, I actually had one night and I went back and played, uh, Reiner Knietz's, uh, Battle Line. I love that game. Mm-hmm. I hadn't played it in a long time and I, I played it with a buddy. Like at the very end of a game, and I came home and I was like, the thing that I love about that game is just, you know, tr- uh, play a card, draw a card. And then there's all this interesting stuff that happens in between that, that real simple uh, action. I was like, well, what, if I was Rainer Knizia, what, you know, what, 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 what would my version of Battle Line be? You know, what would the requirements be? So I was like, let's do, you know, something that plays more players because, um, you know, I think in general, people, I like games that have more players. I mean, I'm, I'm always looking for another you know, social experience. So I was like, well, what if I played up to four players? And what if, you know, it, it was more of an area control game instead of, uh, instead of kind of uh, playing cards to piles or whatever. So right. and that's kind of where that game started. And I said, this game's small enough. The, you know, the scope is manageable. The, not, the amount of art is uh, limited. Um, and this seems like something that I could bring to market on my own. Um, and you know, after the second or third playtest, I, I felt like there was something there that was that was fun. You know, I mean, obviously, I play myself, and I'm, I'm super critical of games in general. I, people kind of know me for hating everything <laughs> when it comes to yeah. board games. And um, I was like, I I like this game. Yeah, you know, you, you so can I see mean, it in the in the beginning stage, right? That there's some potential there, right? Yeah, you see you see the spark there, and then you know, if you maintain your your passion for uh, playtesting something over six, 12 months, then obviously um, it's something that maybe other people are going to dig too. So um, that was kind of the, how it's kicked off. And um, my idea, at least initially, was uh, I, the Fragor brothers who do like who did like Savannah Tales and Snow Tales and 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 all that. They're kind of known for you know they just design one game a year and they develop it and they just make whatever the heck they want and they just put it out and sometimes it gets picked up by additional publishers for wider distribution or other times it doesn't. I, I, there's something kind of 
indie rock cool about that, you know? So I was, I was like, maybe that'll be my model, model of just kind of doing one game a year and, you know, make the scope manageable. And um, it hasn't really turned out that way. And because I have too many, like, you know, I probably have four to six projects in flight at this point, but uh, at least the original idea right. was to do <laughs> one game a year. Um, and Bullfrogs like was the first one. It seems like a good problem to have, right? It's like uh, an overabundance of uh, success and good ideas. That's good. I mean, the fact that, you know, my second game role player has been pretty successful mm-hmm. has kind of allowed me to, to be that way, right. you know? Right. Um, Bullfrogs was a, was a success, but it was, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't gangbusters. You know, it, it had... Uh, I had one sizable print run, and then I licensed it to Renegade Games, who did a second print run, run of it. But I feel like at this point, that game has kind of run its course. Okay. Maybe someday down the road, it'll get reprinted again. But um, I feel like that one's kind of run its course. Whereas in I'm I'm in the middle of the third print run of the of role player, and uh, the expansion is is on its way. So, um, do you find that people who come to your site from hearing about role player then inquire about bullfrogs or, or, or do you find that they're not really separate? They're, they're very different types of games. It, it seems in, in theme and in game. Yeah. yeah. That's the tough thing. It's like what, when you're setting up a company and, and starting to put out uh, board games, you're, you know, you're building a brand and, you know, it kind of took me to the third game to start to actually think about that. Uh, for initially it was just like, I got to have a name for this company. So here's the name. Um, now it's like, well, now what does Thunderworks mean as a brand to people? Um, my initial thought is like, I just want to publish games that I think are cool, but I, I really question whether that's good enough, you know? Um, you know, first I, I did full frogs and the role players like medium Euro high fantasy. And then the third game I did was from another designer, which is, super light family speed dice rolling game, which is called blend off. And I don't know if you can kind of come up with three games that are more different yeah, from each right, other than those exactly. three. It's funny. So uh, I, I, there's not a whole, you, you mentioned kind of uh, just coming up with the name in the beginning. I think uh, Brian Hank from overworld games had said something similar on this podcast where he just sort of came up with overworld games at the beginning. But then as you start to build out your catalog, like with you, yeah, you just, it, it's, there's no real connection to the, to the, initial name right so yeah and i think i think over time i probably need to steer it in that direction which like you know what is a thunderworks game versus what is uh, you know another another brand so right. um i think obviously when i came up with a name i hadn't even thought of the idea for role player so um although that i think is kind of going to be the thing at least for in in the near term what i'm most known for yeah well, it seems, it's funny because Thunderworks games as a as a game as a name seems to work more with role player than with with bullfrogs, but maybe that's just well. It's the coming up with a company name for some reason was I know I said I said I just came up with a name, but that's totally a lie. It's, very um, it's I, I you know I struggled with it yeah, for almost yeah. a year. Every, everyone does. Um, you're, not, you're not alone. Believe me, it's extremely difficult. And and the the name just came. You know, I have a I have a six year old son now, but um, you know when he was like you know two or so, uh, we it was the Fourth of July and the the fireworks started going off, and he called them Thunderworks, and I was like, that's a cool name. I guess that's gonna that'll be my company name. So that 
it actually refers to uh, fireworks, but um, I, you know, I think the, the average consumer doesn't know that. So I was just kind of going through this process recently of kind of coming up with a, a logo bumper for some upcoming videos and stuff. And I did the, th- the fireworks thing, you know, and I started passing it around getting feedback from people. And they're like, what's up with the fireworks? <laughs> I'm like, right. well, that's kind of the story of the name. We're like, well, they don't like it. <laughs> so, so then I ended up kind of um, putting it more in a, like a thunder and lightning kind of theme, which makes more sense to, you know, the average person. But yeah. um, I still kind of like, like that original story. I like to tell that original story from time to time. That's great. Well, so in your in your opening monologue, you kind of uh, touched on a bunch <laughs> of different things that we that I had written out for questions. So I'm going to go through my questions, and uh, maybe we can get into more detail about some of those things that you, that you maybe started touching on. Um, sure. All right. So you're a relatively so. When was your first game? 2014, 2015, that you published? Yeah, I think. I think the Kickstarter was 14 and it released in 15. Okay. So, I mean, do you enjoy being an indie tabletop game publisher? <laughs> um, it's. I always struggle with, do I want to do more publishing or do I want to do more designing? Right. Um, and I think that's probably relatively common for uh, smaller, smaller guys that have been do- uh, people that have not been doing this that long. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always think of myself as the guy I'm not a dude that has a ton of great ideas. You know, I, I get, I get like one good, like really good idea, you know, every year. Uh-huh. Um, the rest of them are all garbage, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and, and I never, I don't pursue those very often. So, um, after I did Bullfrogs, I, you know, I really enjoyed the production process and, um, my experiences in video game production. So it kind of comes, um, it, it came relatively naturally, but the thing that's nice about it is I've been, uh, um, I've been, you know, learning a lot about how the industry works and, and how relationships work, and and uh, I, I think that part, of the learning portion of that, is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, but then after Bullfrogs, I was like, you know what, I I think I like the publishing element more than the designing, so maybe I'll focus on that. Um, but then I got a good idea, <laughs> so then <laughs> so then it turned into all right, I'm I'm designer 100% of the time. Uh, when when role player kind of the spark you know, got lit on role player. It was insane. I was playtesting at least three times a day, making changes, you know, multiple times a day. Um, because I was, you know, I was super scared that uh, someone was going to come up with this idea and publish it before me because I was just like, this is such an obvious idea and it's such a good idea. Um, and I was, I totally believed in it, you know, a thousand percent. And I was just super nervous. Somebody was going to beat me to the punch. So I went like <clears throat> crazy uh, playtesting the, the crap out of that game. Um, obviously, it, it turned out pretty good. Um, but now I'm moving kind of back into the publishing role where, you know, uh, I, I didn't have anything specific besides the expansion to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to work on other stuff. And um, I mean, I know a lot of great designers. I've met a lot of great designers over the last four or five years. And I attend, you know, protospiels and conventions, and I play a lot of prototypes. And there's cool stuff out there that I would love to bring to market. So, um, I think the next the next game that I do after the role player expansion is going to be from another designer. So that that'll be in a development slash publishing role. Um, and then 
there's another game uh, after that one that I've signed as well. So awesome. to, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really answered your question, no, um, but I think I'm going to kind of. It sounds like publishing I'm have games my... is something that you like about being a, a tabletop game publisher, right? Finding, yeah, I do finding new stuff the... and, and sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you. Yeah, I think I'm always going to have like one foot in, deve- in, in design, you know? I mean, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think because of because of the success of uh, a role player, my name, you know, I've, I've gotten a little bit of a name for myself as a designer. So um, I've been approached by multiple publishers that are uh, asking me to design stuff for for their, you know, for their label. So, um, which is exciting and flattering. Um, but I'm also working on a game for um, Eduardo Bereff over at Pencil First Games. Mm-hmm. Which he just basically had this this base idea and said, you know, I want you to develop you know develop this thing for me. So as the designer, so I've been uh, actively working on that as well, in addition to all this other stuff. Awesome. Now, so, do you think you'll be so, doing that with other designers? Sort of, you have the idea, but maybe you're too busy and you find someone that you have worked with before or that you like and just sort of give them the idea to to work with. I, I think it depends on. I can see it happening. Would I mean, it depends on how much I like the idea. Or- when you when they come to you, or mostly. Uh, well, I mean, if it's a really good, if I come up with a really good idea, if I come up with a good idea, it's like it's gonna be hard for me to let somebody else design <laughs> that's, it. That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, things are good, and I I enjoy uh, board games and board game culture, and I I enjoy uh, you know publishing stuff and having stuff to be proud of and. Um, just the logistics of pushing cardboard and and plastic, you know, through the manufacturing and distribution yep. process, and then getting on a shelf and some dude pl- plopping down cash for it, and, and you know, loving loving it like crazy. So pretty wild, huh? Um, I can <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Um, who who do you use for your manufacturing? If you don't mind. Uh, I've used pen. Uh, I use Panda GM for okay. game manu- Panda Games manufacturing for my stuff. Um, I mean, they're known high quality. Yep. Um, you know, obviously, guys like um, uh, Tasty Minstrel use them. A lot of indie guys use them because they they'll kind of hold your hand through some of the process where some of the other guys yeah, aren't aren't so willing to do that. Um, and they're kind of a known quantity as being high quality, you know, but. Yep. They also, you know, they've got some downsides. They're they're slow. They quote really really slow, and um, there's a lot of people that are using them. So sometimes you have right, to get exactly. in the queue, and yeah. it can take a while to get your product. But um, I keep going back to them because even though I might be able to get it cheaper or faster somewhere else, like I know the quality is exactly. going to be awesome. So yeah. I'm not really that interested in um, taking a chance other places. Yeah, I had, uh, about a month ago, I think it was, I had a chance to actually tour their facility in Shenzhen, China, which was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Watching, just seeing how that how the games are, are actually manufactured and, you know, printed. Yeah, I saw all the printers and them gluing the boxes together yeah. and packing the cards and little. And it's amazing when you when you actually see how much work, like actual human work, goes into like putting cards in those little bags and, and all that stuff. It's pretty wild. It kind of gives you a new perspective when you open up a game and you're like, wow. So there are some cards and they were you know run through this machine and this this uh, the board was a piece of cardboard that had paper stuck to it i don't know it's pretty wild 
but it was yeah. really cool to see uh, the it whole is process. Well, yeah, um, Mayday Games put some um, Seth Hyatt over there put up some videos uh, on YouTube of going to some of the the factories that, that they use, um, and it's, it's awesome to watch that stuff. I've always loved behind the scenes stuff in general. You yep. know, it's like I oftentimes like I you know when I was back when people bought DVDs. Um, <laughs> you know, I would just watch the special features and not watch the movie. Yep. I, I, I was much more. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I love that stuff. And, um, even like building prototypes, like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm working on a board game. I need to build a board. How do I do this? Um, you start to, you know, going through that process of like spray adhesing, you know, printed paper to, to board and like figuring out how to set it up. So it's, gonna fold and fit in your prototype box that you learn a lot about game manufacturing just trying to build your own stuff um but it's 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 a cool thing so up there in uh wisconsin is there a big game development community i know you said there are a lot of players because of uh, the cold weather or whatever but uh, do you do you have another a lot of other developers i know that for instance, in San Jose or in that area in California, uh, Jeremy Commander, who was another uh, podcast guest, does his own protospiel event every year. And there's a huge development community there. It seems huge. Anyway, there's, there's a ton of uh, people designing board games there. Do you have something similar where they're all getting together and sort of playing each other's games and, and having a, a meeting? Yeah, there's... There? <clears throat> it's, I mean, especially because Madison is not the biggest city in the world, you know, it's, it's a relatively small town, but uh, there's a ton of game uh, designers here. Awesome. Um, probably the most prolific is uh, Kane Klenko is here. He's a, he does a lot of stuff for Renegade. He did like Fuse and he did Covert last year. He's got um, a, a couple of new ones coming. Um, he did a game called Mad City for Mayfair and he's kind of known for doing speed games, but um He's here, good buddy of mine. Uh, Brett Myers is here. He did a game called uh, uh, Rome City of Marble for R&R Games. He did a game called uh, for Steve Jackson, Nanook. He did a game called Nanook for Steve Jackson. Um, Kirk Dennison is here. He did a game called Flag Dash, uh, which is kind of uh, basically a board game version of Capture the Flag, um, and he's been pretty successful with that. Um, he just... Uh, sign that a reprint with that with Ultra Pro, so that's kind of a big deal. Awesome. Um, there's a guy that did Loon Architects, his name is Dan Cunningham, he's here. Um, and then there's <clears throat> there's just a lot of other just you know, unpublished designers in the area as well. So you know, we've got Protospiel Madison, and then we've got Protospiel Milwaukee every year, you know, one in the spring and one in the fall. And the, these two cities are you know an hour and a half away from each other, so um, easy to get uh, and we've. <laughs> We need to get together twice a year, yeah, and and we fill awesome. up those. Rooms. There's a lot of people, a lot of people come up from Chicago or down from Minnesota. Um, so there's a there's a really good development community here. You know, I I could probably. I mean, there's there's a lot of gaming in Madison in general. Mm-hmm. Like I could I I could be gaming at a gaming group at one of the game stores or at game at, at one of the local groups every night of the year, every night of the week if I wanted to. Um, but if you just wanted to do like prototype testing, there's probably um, I could probably just do prototype testing three or four days a week, uh, just in the organized. Um, I, I play test prototypes every Thursday af- afternoon um, at, at a local store. The the local store, my side of town, 
the owner is the ex designer, you know, he, and he owns the shop now, but he, he did a bunch of old CCGs back in the nineties. Oh, cool. And so he's very supportive of the, of the design community as well. Cause it's, you know, a world he's very familiar with. Yep. But, That's awesome. How do you find the time uh, to do that with your full time job? Well, um, I don't sleep a whole lot. Is basically <laughs> what it boils down. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I, I usually work till I work from like like eight thirty to six ish, and then um, I've got my I'm a dad till my son's in in, in bed around eight eight thirty, and then from like nine p.m. to two a.m. I'm doing board game stuff, and then it just kind of keeps cycling around. Um, so I don't have the, yeah, the constitution it, for that. I don't think I could do it. It. it uh, you know, it catches up with you after a while sometimes, but in general, you know, there's, there's a passion there. It's yeah, sure. Yeah, all this stuff takes time and effort. So, so have you ever thought about moving to full time? I mean, I guess you know, with with most publishers uh, that are doing indie stuff, you know, it's it's the point where you can support yourself, right? Uh, when you go full time, but do you have a, yeah. a desire to only do Thunderworks games, or do you enjoy your full time job and and want to keep keep that going? Well, I mean, I think, um, I think that's a dream of a lot of people is being able to do it full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be nice, but it's not something that I'm, I'm actively pushing for. You know, I, I, I like making video games too. You know, <laughs> and uh, I like working with those teams. Um, you know, I've I've worked like in my office by myself before when I was. Uh, economy, I, I worked off site quite a bit, um, and kind of working in a. I like working with groups of people, and um, instead of kind of being stuck in my office typing emails away, I think that can get old real quick. But um, yeah. I don't know. Some maybe someday. someday. Okay. Um, so yeah, recently I ordered Roleplayer, and I actually feel bad because I haven't played it yet. I'm a usually a solo gamer because I actually uh, well. I travel a lot, and now I'm living here in, in Bangkok, Thailand, but I'm generally by myself uh, living alone. So I don't have a, a game group to play with here. So I, I like to pick up solo <laughs> games. And actually, I buy a bunch of them, but I never actually play them. So I'm, I'm actually pretty terrible <laughs> as far as that goes. <laughs> and I haven't I haven't played Roleplayer yet. Uh, it's sitting on my shelf ready to play. But when I ordered it, I mean, I put in the order, and it was shipped, like, the next day, and it arrived real shortly afterwards. I mean, and then you replied right away to my email, which I thought was awesome. So the customer service is, is excellent. Um, so well, congratulations. thanks. Maybe I just caught you at the right yeah, time. I mean, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was no, I, I usually respond to people's emails within at least within an hour or two. Awesome. I mean, I, you know, in this today's culture where every, everybody's on all the time, it's like, right. uh I'm in front of a screen, whether it be a phone or or a computer, you know, 80% of my day. Yep. So, uh, and, <clears throat> you know, I just know it, from a customer's perspective, if you reach out to a company and they take forever to respond or whatever, then um, you, you're kind of disappointed, you know. Mm-hmm. It, and when you reach out, here's an opportunity for the publisher or whoever to make a, a genuine connection with one of their customers. Right. Um so yeah, why wouldn't you uh, give that as much attention as quickly as possible? So, I mean, that's that's kind of the first stage. It's like um, for my evening or whatever. So it's like 
I've got my, I answer people's questions or emails uh, immediately, whether it be on Board Game Geek or on Kickstarter mail or my email or whatever. Um, and then before I start working on anything in the evening, I just get everything ready to ship that needs to ship that day. So um, there's this kind of constant stream of, of things going out. Um, you know, in the last year, I've, I've been shipping a lot of uh, promo boards for, uh, role player, I kind of put out this promotional uh, additional board for role player that uh, kind of connected back to my Bullfrogs game where it had this kind of frog character. So, um, you know, I ship a lot of those, but um, I mean, honestly, shipping stuff gets tiring after a while. <laughs> Do they have something? Doesn't the postal service like come pick it up at your house or something like that? I don't know. I never really ship things. I mean, yeah. Getting them to pick it up, that's that's fine. It's just like, you know, it's like printing the printing label and putting in the package, gotcha. trying to find some scrap cardboard to reinforce it so the postal service doesn't bend it in half and then I end up having to ship it again, you know, yeah. um, which happens sometimes. But um, but uh, that one, and Board Game Geek ended up picking up those for their store. So um, they whenever <laughs> – it's funny. So I ship some to Board Game Geek and they give uh, advertising credit – uh, for that, um, and they have it in their store, and then I I usually don't get any orders for a while, which is kind of nice. I don't have to worry about it. And then and then suddenly I'll get like five in one day, and I'm like, oh, I bet the board game geek store ran out of stock, right? And so <laughs> I go up there and they're they're out of stock. You know? So then I'm like, hey, BGG guys, you want some more? You know, so uh, there was they just got them back in stock, I think, last week. But for about oh, five to ten days, I was shipping like five to six of them a day. Anyway, yeah, cool. customer service is a big deal, yeah, man. Absolutely, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a small, tiny community, and if you people talk, you know, it's like, uh, well, I mean, you create like you know, on all those, uh, I'm I'm in a bunch of those Facebook groups, the Board Game Geek group, and some other ones, and whenever someone comes on there and complains about something. Uh, just recently there was a one a guy complaining about side and I don't know the board didn't have two sides to it or something like that and then uh, you can tell yeah. you see everyone yeah everyone who is a fan of Stonemaier games they all jump in and say no 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 they have the best customer service blah 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 and I guess when you build that kind of reputation you have these fans that will rabidly defend you on the internet which is great <laughs> yeah I mean that, that man. Yeah, that post surprised me from well, that guy. Like he's, five different groups. It was crazy. Yeah, that's one of the more annoying things about Facebook mm-hmm. is like people cross post their stuff into tons of groups. Yeah. I mean, I'm in all those groups and I'll comment on things from time to time, but um, I'd be real careful not to be spammy because I find it annoying. So I don't yeah, want other sure. people to be annoyed by me. Well, again, you know, it's that delicate balance that's, where you you have the good customer service, but then you're annoying on the internet, and then people <laughs> you're going to turn customers <laughs> off. Yeah, I mean, I think when, especially when you're running a Kickstarter, you get a little bit of an excuse to do that, like, you know, sure. because it's a limited time, and you're like, I'm going to be spammy for the next four weeks, and then I'll shut up, I promise, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 the Stonemeyer guy, Jamie's done a, a great job building up his brand and and uh, his customer service. People are very loyal to him. Yep. Um, and he's been really good to the development community as well in terms of sharing his methodologies for shipping and and the like. So he's awesome. Sure. 
So uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, uh, but how did you learn how to be a publisher? I mean, were you just sort of uh, finding your way, or were there any uh, specific resources you found? I know that there's a lot of information on the internet, but any any ones in particular? Yeah. Um, I mean, James Dagmeyer's blog and James Matthews' blog. James Matthews also uh, near me as well uh, in Milwaukee, but uh, he's pretty well known on the internet yep, for. Yep. Having lots of information and willing to share, yep. uh, and, too. So. yeah, um, and he's a character for sure. He's he's kind of just like his online persona is not much different than his in-person <laughs> persona. Great. So <laughs> he's he's a he's a good time. But um, yeah, those guys both have great blogs, and you know that that'll get you probably seventy percent of the way there, and then then it's just I guess just going for it. I mean. Honestly, if you just spend a lot of time on Kickstarter and look at what other people are doing mm-hmm. and just copy the people that look like they're doing it the right way, yep, pretty much. you'll probably be okay. <laughs> you'll probably be okay right. you know? well, that'll get you like 80% there. Uh, and I think yeah. it's funny because that's something that a lot of people don't seem to do. <laughs> they just sort of think that they know how to do a Kickstarter and they don't really do the research beforehand when it's really all out there. Uh, there's no magic formula, but a lot of the information, which can, like you say, get you most of the way there, uh, the, you know, it's a lot of it is out there. And then that, sure. there's that magical ingredient of just having a great game that inspires people and gets people uh, excited. But I think that's the real trick. The rest of it is. Yeah, I don't even think having a great game <laughs> okay. is nearly as important as Being having amazing So I think those are super important. I mean, the thing is, I was on Kickstarter well before I decided to publish something. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I backed was the Glory to Rome Black Box Edition, you know, many wow. years ago. Did that ever come out? Uh, I think. Yeah, it, yeah, it came did out. Did you receive it? Uh, you can. Oh. I did, okay. and I, I'm. So Glory to Rome was one of the best games in the whole world. Just, just stating a fact here. <laughs> um, it's definitely my favorite card game, uh-huh. and. Um, I, I love that game. It, it's anyway. I, I, I don't know if you ever played it before. It doesn't. I don't think there's a single player version. So I didn't play that. I, um, I played Innovation, right? That that came after that, right? Is that yeah, the same? Innovation's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, alright. Yeah. I remember the Kickstarter Carl for Chattuck. Black Box Edition because the the artwork was awesome. It looked really cool. So that's funny. I mean, it took me. Uh, the delivery was about a year since the pledge, and at the time, I was like outraged. Oh my god! It took this whole year. Right. To, to, it's like now that's pretty commonplace. Yep. But um, <clears throat> when I was uh, yeah, so I backed that game. I was a fan. Of, I you know I liked the game at the time. I, I had a copy of the Clamshell Edition, and then for whatever my buddies at work, we we started playing that game like every day at lunch for like months. So um. And I got really used to kind of having that pop, that clip art style mm-hmm. version. And then the black box version came and it was a much cleaner design, but it wasn't like I kind of fall in love with the other version, like the one with the clip art looking stuff. And those are the cards that I could identify across the table. I didn't, I didn't really feel like relearning all the icons and stuff. So it's out of my shelf. And then somebody offered me 50 bucks for it one day and I was like, sure, take it. And then, the, the week later, I look online, and it's like going for 150 200 bucks. <laughs> I was like, man, I, 
I wish I kept that, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you don't, uh, if you get a chance to play Glory Room, I recommend it. It's it's the thing that's really unique about it is that all the all the cards are super powerful and they combo with the, with each other, so that you there's all these crazy combos that you can create. But because there's so many of them, um, it feels oddly balanced. Um, okay. And so it is what it is. Monai is the Motonai is his kind of rework of it that's I think currently in print, but uh, I haven't played that. But I heard I heard it's not as good. Okay, but um, I'm going to run proof. I'll I'll scour the internet. I'm not paying 150 dollars <laughs> for it, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we're getting near the end. So before we go, do you have any tips? Well, okay. Since you sort of do both, give me some uh, advice for maybe for new designers, and then maybe for new publishers? Do you have any advice for them? Sure. I mean, new designers, the thing, it's this kind of common, a common piece of advice, but I definitely adhere to it, which is if you have an idea, um, make it playable as soon as possible. Okay. Like um, sometimes I make something playable before I have an idea. So, <laughs> you know, I'll just, I'll just get out some components and push them around and try to create what, what a turn might feel like. It doesn't matter what I'm doing in the game or, or, or anything like what if, what if we feel, feel cool to put these pieces over on this thing um, and then kind of figure it out after that? Or if you've got uh, – don't try to design the whole game in your head before you start trying it because um, the easiest way to make no progress is to just keep it in your head for forever. For sure. um, once it's like a physical thing, then you can start criticizing it and you can start changing it and, and improving it and making it something good. Um, advice for a publisher – uh, take your time, and you know, play test that, the crap out of stuff, and then uh, and and don't be afraid to invest in good art. I know it's it seems shallow, um, but honestly, um, your games have to look good. I mean, I wouldn't say my games are the best looking games in the world, but definitely when the first Bullfrogs came out. Um, you know, I had an idea of what I wanted it to look like, and I, I, I chased that, and I, I, I found the artist that I wanted, and um, and not, you know, got him to work with me. So, um, which is John Ariosa, who's done a lot of indie stuff, but I saw him some stuff on um, Mice and Mystics. I liked his Mice and Mystics work, and I found his email address and emailed him and said, I got this project. Awesome. I want to do this. How much is it going to cost? When can you do it? He's like. Sure, no problem. And like two weeks later, I had the final the final cover illustration done. You know, well, so I'll say this: if people you, are very approachable. If you if you're running a a Kickstarter, bad bad design probably won't stop you from funding, but bad art certainly will, right? So that's I mean the importance of art. Yeah. It's, it's maybe it's unfortunate, but we are sort of visual driven when we're looking for new games. So I think uh, yeah, art art yeah. is definitely important. Yeah, I mean if you're sitting there looking at this object for an hour or two, yeah. it should look nice, you know? <laughs> so, um, and I also don't want to under, underestimate the value of, uh, or underrate the value of, of a great graphic designer. Yeah. Honestly, the graphic designer does significantly more work than the illustrators do, in my opinion, on the projects. You know, the illustrators can kind of uh, fire and forget and make a pretty picture, and, and the graphic designer is the one that has to communicate, you know, all, all the game language to the players and, you know, laying out rule books is probably one of the worst things you could possibly do in the world. Right. Um, and, 
you know, an awesome graphic designer is worth its weight in gold for sure. Yeah, I think they really have a hand in making your game sort of make that jump up to something that looked professional too, right? Yeah. You know, from something yeah. an amateur designed on their computer to to really looking slick and clean. All right, Keith. Remember, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again for coming. All right, dude. Well, thanks for having me on. Oh, well, if it's, if it's my pleasure, believe me. Uh, where can the listeners find you <laughs> if they want to find your? Uh, uh, yeah, you can. I'm, I'm on Twitter at uh, at thunderwork at thunderworks g a m. Okay. I ran out of characters. I put the e on the end, so it's thunderworks okay. thunderworks game okay. without the e. Um, and then I'm at www.thunderworksgames.com. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I'm sure if you just search for thunderworks games, you can probably find it. Um, I'm not really on Instagram or um, Pinterest. Anything no, else no, that no. I can think of? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly on those things. So if you want to hit me up with any questions or or just want to sh- throw me a shout, you know, I'm gonna respond to you. Awesome. So. And uh, all those addresses and things will be on my blog at gamelawyerblog.com, where you may have found this podcast episode, and you can also read uh, my blog post about game legal issues. Right. All right. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, I will see everyone next month for a new episode. <laughs> Have a great day. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Keith.